thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And man, oh man, do we have an interview for you today. Oh my goodness. Honestly, this woman is such a tower of strength. She is such an inspiration. And what a cool chick. You guys are going to be in for an absolute treat. Cindy has introduced the most amazing Shanna Wan to us up for a chatters. And we are going to be talking about her story her background and how she has overcome incredible odds to become one of Australia's and our Outback's greatest inspiration. Welcome to the show, Shanna. It's going to be such a treat to chat with you today. Thank you so much for having me, girls. It's great to be here. Very, very um, inspired by your stories also. So this is going to be awesome. Well, I think I should um, start with this. So um, I went to Burrawa, as quite a few people know, because we've already interviewed one of the girls that was speaking at the, that very little town in the middle of nowhere. I won't say what I was going to say, but in the middle of nowhere. And um, one, the other speaker, well, there were four speakers. I was one, uh, Robin was another, but um, Shanna was another. And I was so inspired by her story as well, and I think she has a very powerful message. So um, I think I would really like to start, Shanna, and Shanna's actually here with me, which is really cool. Um, what I'd really like to start with is um, your story about what, were you, what your life was like and, um, you know, what, what made you start drinking alcohol mm. um, to the point where you knew you had a problem. Gosh, yeah, it's, it's, it's always such a difficult one to summarise, but basically... Um, I am a really, really typical representative of the country slash rural demographic. I'm a country girl through and through. And um, for me, alcohol um, entered my life when I was about 18, but by the time I was in my late 30s, it had progressed from a um, something I used as a young woman to hide behind and to get courage through. And it became alcoholism and in the end it would nearly kill me. Um, I don't really know how to summarise that sort of 20, <laughs> 25 years any better than that. But it, um, it entered my life as one thing and it, and it nearly finished my life as completely another. Um, but what I would say is that my story isn't very unique in the sense that uh, behind my alcoholism, even though it was high-functioning, and even though I didn't drink all day or every day or during the day, alcohol ended up having a big hold on my entire life and I was constantly slipping through the cracks of a healthcare system that didn't diagnose it, didn't see it, didn't recognise it in me until it was almost nearly too late. Um, and, uh, and it was all connected with uh, trauma and mental health that had also gone undiagnosed and untreated. So... Again, I said in a moment ago that I'm very typical of a country girl and I'm also very typical of a country person who um, struggled to get support when I needed it and that's kind of really in a long way why I'm here now doing what I do in this space with advocacy. Mm. 
We have a real culture, don't we, of, um, you know, you turn 18, you're allowed to drink alcohol. (laughs) You um, have your 21st. You know, my daughter just went to a 21st and she didn't get there till late because she Mm. was at work. And by the time she got there, the girl was drunk. Yes. She said, what was the the point Mm. of being Mm. she said, what was the point? Yeah. She didn't even remember me being there and I drove all that way. She drove mm. from Byron Bay mm. to Noosa yeah. to go to a party mm. and then the girl doesn't remember. So I think it's part of our culture, our Australian culture, yeah. and I love the way you spoke about that. Could you address the culture that we have with alcohol? 100% happy to. Um, look, I think alcohol is, is, is ingrained into our cultures globally and in Australia we seem to really pride ourselves in particular But if you drill down a little further again and come to Outback Australia, it's kind of the linchpin of all of our social events, all of our sporting events and all of our gatherings. So the culture of alcohol in the country is a whole different beast, again, because of geographic isolation, because of diminished opportunities for people to catch up um, and because of the fact that we often don't have many alternatives when it comes to gathering. So at the heart of our entire social structure in the bush is booze. And um, we really do have a mentality in the country of identifying a bloke by how many beers he can drink is one of the best ways I can put that. Um, and as you said before, Cindy, like, you know, when we, you know, we turn 18, the first thing we do is run out and get on the beers, don't we? You know, so it's sort of like from the moment we come of age, whether we're in the UK or in Sydney or in the country, we go, yay, we can go to the pub and get on the beers now. (laughs) But in the country, what concerns me is that mentality never stops and very little else enters the equation and that remains the mainstay of what we do socially and in groups. Mm. So it's a particularly thriving culture <laughs> in the bush mm. and it's a big worry as I have discovered <laughs> and alcohol um compared to drugs mm. you know if we we compare those two mm. and have a look at you know alcohol as you were saying to me before so we we've been chatting a little bit before so um one of the things that you said was that if alcohol was brought onto the street market today mm. Mm. it would be worse than you know, the drug market. Yeah, I saw this extraordinary quote from an organisation, excuse me, called FAIR, which stands for the Foundation of Alcohol Research and Education. And they're a, um, they're a group that I'm aligned with and I do a bit of work with. Um, and they released this interesting quote the other day after they'd um, been doing some surveys and they said, basically, if we released alcohol onto the market today as a drug, it would literally make methamphetamines look like child's play. It would make methamphetamines look like a walk in the park. And so it's really interesting. It's, it's a bit like being the Erin Brockovich of the, of the outback of Australia is how I've started to jokingly refer to myself because I've sort of started digging into this conversation. And once you lift the lid on that Pandora's box, um, holy guacamole, you just can't. <laughs> it takes you down all sorts of rabbit holes and your eyes are opened and it's shocking. And so, girls, I was telling Cindy before that um, here's just an example of, of the disparity and the gap with how we speak about drugs of one kind versus drugs of another. We all know, right, that alcohol is a drug. We all know that it's addictive. But it's legal 
and it's taxed. And so people pop those two excuses under a banner and say, well, we can't kind of do anything with that because it's how it's always been. Um, in the meanwhile, on the other side of the fence, and I'll use methamphetamines as an example. So, for example, at the moment, Australia has a um, special national commission into the drug that is ICE. And there is a $300 million budget attached to that so that we can look at ICE and the damage it's doing in our communities, which is fantastic because it is horrifying and terrifying and I live in a community that is deeply impacted by ICE. Most rural towns are. So I'm not dismissing the urgency and the need for that. But what I'm doing is drawing an illustration and saying, but let's pop over to the other side of the fence. Now, the drug alcohol, which we do a beautiful job of marketing and making look amazing and trendy and cool, um, kills more people, results in more injury, more death, more hospitalisations, more mental health. And we haven't had a national alcohol strategy in Australia for nearly a decade. So one of these things gets $300 million and an urgent tag attached to it and the other one gets fairly well pushed under the carpet for reasons that, in my opinion, as I dig, dig around in this and I see firsthand the impact that alcohol, being the accepted, glorified, uh, celebrated drug that it is, I see firsthand now because of my very public advocacy in this space the impact that it's having. And, look, I'm just saying I don't think that's good enough. I'm sorry, but what is going on in this beautiful na nation of ours when we have got some extraordinary people, and obviously my focus is rural and remote people, um, people just like me slipping through the cracks again and again and again, and I believe a big part of the reason for that is we, we're so busy not calling it for what it is that we don't pick it up until it's often too late, and that was my story, and that's why I speak the way I do. Mm. Um, Shanna, can I ask you, um, there seems to be a misunderstanding perhaps around what actually is alcoholism or alcohol dependence? And whilst I can appreciate there's a, a, a definition, you know, a, a saying, and I quote, inability to control drinking due to both a physical and emotional dependence on alcohol. Yes. What is actually alcoholism though? Like is it yeah. one drink a day? Yeah. Is it five a week is it someone I know that that you could say that you can control you can't control it but how do you get there it's such a good question Kim I love that question um the the answer is it can look like different things to different people and I actually just to give you a an illustration of that so in the early days I was convinced utterly I couldn't be an alcoholic because I didn't drink every day and I didn't drink during the day. And that's what I thought alcoholism was. Your stereotypical Hollywood bum in the gutter clutching a brown paper bag. I don't know about you girls, but that's what was sold to me is what alcoholism is. In actual fact, it is such an unbelievably complex disease. It is such a complex illness. And it can look like and manifest and present as quite different things in different people. But really the litmus test is that if alcohol's excuse me, if alcohol controls you and you don't control it, then there's a red flag. The litmus tests can include things like if you are finding that alcohol is impacting your health, your ability to function, your ability to get to work, if it's impacting your family, 
your finances. There are quite a huge number of red flag indicators. But in all, you know, it's interesting. If you speak to recovery experts or whatever, quite often one of the things you'll hear that they will say is no one can diagnose you. You have to kind of work it out for yourself. And that's an interesting challenge. And I would agree because um, it's a bit like the health, and Cindy would appreciate this as a holistic health coach, right? You know, there is no one-size-fits-all for everybody, I don't believe, when it comes to alcohol. And some people can drink more than others. Some people can moderate better than others. But really, at the end of the day, if your life and your quality of life is being massively impacted by alcohol, and if you've constantly tried to cut back, if you've tried to quit, if you've tried to water down your drinks, limit your drinks, change your drinks, but you keep ultimately coming back to that same place of inability to guarantee your behaviour, then those are the indicators, Kim, if that makes sense. But I guess the complexity is that because our society is so actively encouraging of people getting what I call alcoholic drunk, we miss it with people and we miss it. And meanwhile, this nasty little addiction is, is getting a hold of people and suddenly they go sort of from point A to point Z and they then lose their ability to choose. Does that make sense? It goes from being a choice to an addiction that they no longer have a say on. Does, does that make sense? Yes, but I'm wondering, um, you say that if it's having an effect on work, family and finances, mm. I'm just questioning this because some people say that, you know, oh, thank God I had a wine. That's what gets me mm. through work yeah. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day. You could say that family pressures, having a couple of glasses of wine of a night is what calms you and gets you through. Yeah. And then financially, I mean, you can buy pretty good bottles of wine for under <laughs> this country. Sorry, I do. I see exactly what you're saying, yeah. So I'm just questioning and, you know, and then you're saying, I'm, I'm, I'm with you and, and how, how do we self um, diagnosis because yes. to work it out for yourself mm. most people that I would look at that I think have an alcohol dependency perhaps mm. um, they see it as they're quite in control and yep. Yep. they actually have no problem with it they just really enjoy it just like I do yes. a gluten-free nut beautiful cashew fermented cheesecake so beautiful yum <laughs> do you know what I mean I do and it's really really interesting people actually quite often really want to quantify it quite precisely um and I totally get that because many people do enjoy one or two and they say well it's not a problem for me um so again I guess all I can say is it's different for different people if you can't stop once you start that's a biggie um, have you ever heard the expression one is too many and a thousand isn't enough? <laughs> that's, that's, that's alcoholism right there. If you pick up a bottle and you think, I'm just going to have one glass, but suddenly <laughs> you've finished the bottle and you're cracking open the second bottle, you know. Um, so I, I, I honestly, Kim, I would never feel comfortable quantifying it because I see such diversity in it. But I'll keep coming back to the fact that if you think it's a problem and if you are constantly questioning yourself in your heart of hearts, those are red flags. And here's another frustration in this whole discussion. You can quite often go to a professional and they won't even be able to tell you or help you because very, very few professionals have been alcoholics who've nearly lost everything and recovered. So, you know, it's difficult for... it's. It is such a complex topic and so hard to quantify. And this is why 
people who have been there, done that, and gone from that two drinks a night and escalated. And that, by the way, once upon a time, I used to enjoy one or two glasses a night. But over time, that became one or two bottles. And then it became alcoholism. And then I nearly died. And that took 25 years, right? So the best way I could describe it is that it's a progressive illness that is generally fatal if it is not caught and diagnosed and treated. So the trick is, right, for us as a community and as, a, as, a, um, you know, as mates, as a nation, whatever, is to look at our mates around us and go, gee, where's that? Shanna's a bit of a worry. She's been blackout drinking. Every time we see her at the pub, she can't pull up. She's getting blackout drunk every time. This doesn't seem okay to me. You know, those are the times when we might need to go and speak to our friends and say, hey, is everything all right? <laughs> I've noticed you're getting very, very drunk every time I see you. But, yeah. So it's, how did it look for you? Like, tell us how it looked for you and then when you recognised mm. and then what did you do? Oh, look, um, like I said, it entered my life after some pretty serious traumas when I was an 18-year-old girl and um, I used to just drink for courage socially. But I was one of those people that when I started, I couldn't stop. And that gap between starting and not being able to stop got shorter and shorter and more and more fierce. So by the time I was in my late 30s, I, was, I, couldn't, I would go to the bottle shop, right, for example, and get two bottles of wine and I would very, very frequently finish both of those bottles. But I only ever drank after 5 o'clock. So I kidded myself it wasn't a problem and that I wasn't an alcoholic because I worked hard and I functioned and I was quite a very, um, I don't know, I was really successful in my business, et cetera, right? And so it's really interesting. Everyone would say, oh, no, you're not an alcoholic, Shane. You've just had a crappy life. <laughs> You've just had a hard time. <laughs> and, um, you know, um, yeah, but in the end what it looked like for me was I, was I was unable to pick up a bottle of wine without going to the point of, I used to call it falling asleep, <laughs> quote, unquote, but that was actually me passing out. So in the end, it was blackout drinking on a regular basis. How, how did your husband handle this? Shocking in the end, yeah. So a lot of people ask me um, what my rock bottom was and it was seeing the destruction that my drinking wreaked upon our marriage and on him psychologically so in the end, it really it destroyed me, but I'd given up caring about myself, but it was seeing the impact it had on him that actually was my rock bottom to see this beautiful, strong, extraordinary man so heartbroken by the state of me was what woke me up in the end was seeing my, uh, his pain was terrible. Um, he had always said he would never give up on me and as he said, you know, sweetheart, our vows were for better or for worse. I'm not ever leaving you but I can't help you anymore. And that was devastating to see him giving up and I knew, wow, okay, I am actually going to die here if I don't sort this out. I knew I was going to die. Like within, you know, my family and I discussed this recently and we said we reckon within six months to a year towards the end I would have been flat out lasting that much longer. Yep, that's four and a half years ago, by the way. Mm. Yep. So it was, it was he, him, your, your beautiful husband who you saw and how it was affecting him, what did you do? Oh, look, I, in the end, I reached out for help. Um, in the end, I realised that everything I had tried had failed. I realised that 
all of my half-assed measures, so to speak, were doing nothing, right? And Kim, you asked me before um, about quantities and so forth and, like, you know, I tried really hard to moderate. I tried to cut back. I tried to drink light. I tried I, whatever you could possibly poke a stick at and imagine. <laughs> I tried. Um, the only thing I hadn't tried was facing up to the cold hard truth of the fact that I had become a raging alcoholic. High functioning, yes, didn't matter. I was still an alcoholic. And so um, in the end, um, I reached out for help and I came across a lady who had success- successfully recovered from alcoholism. And she gave me. Oh God, within three hours of hanging out with this amazing girl, she was a country girl, um, I drove six hours. I drove a six-hour round trip to meet with this girl and I came home and it changed my life because she sat me down and said, Shanna, I'm going to tell you about what alcoholism can look like, how it can be, and it's up to you what you do with that. Um, you know, and during that conversation, this lady illuminated for me what no professional, no psychologist, no doctor, I just... I, to hear from somebody with lived experience who had been there and done that gave me the tools to recognise that, yes, I had actually become an alcoholic and the only way out of it for me was to not drink at all, at all. I was somebody who had gone beyond that point and, but I had, re- I had refused point blank to consider that as an option because can you imagine, right, in the country, <laughs> um, it's all we do. We get together over a beer, and I thought, my God, the thought of life without alcohol in the country was like, I don't know. I just thought, well, that's impossible. It can't be done. So I'm not even going to look at this. Anyway, um, when it came down to it, and I realized it was look at that or you will die, and I had that information all of a sudden, and I went, well, bloody hell, it's, this has got to go. And, and it was really interesting. Something in my mind changed irrevocably that day and I faced it and I looked at it and I went, do you know what, in my life this has become alcoholism and it has to go. And so because of that rock bottom and seeing where my husband had gone to, I don't know, I finally, I finally, finally decided I do want to live. I do matter. My life does matter and I need to, I need to save myself here. And I got to work and I worked my little bum off and I learned everything I could about this very misunderstood um, disease and I got to work and I spent basically a full year with my bum up and my head down learning how to recover and learning how to be sober in the country and um, <laughs> um, it was in that process that's I guess that's a bit of a segue into um, why I do what I do now which is to tell other people actually guys guess what this is a fair bit more common than what you and I realize and there are so many people out there so many incredible high functioning successful people who don't look like or sound like or speak like or dress like what they think alcoholism is and they're slipping through the cracks Mm -hmm. and because we worship this bloody thing in the country so fiercely Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people in a lot of trouble and um yeah so that's I don't know if that's a handy segue for you but that's that's why I'm doing it um that's why I speak very publicly about a very painful experience because it's so misunderstood and like I said earlier it I don't think we have a good handle on alcohol globally, but yeah, I, I guess on my understanding in this space is is extra huge and it's extra scary how big of a beast it is. Hmm. So I can't. Oh, sorry, Kim, did you want to say something? I just wanted to ask, what actually does alcoholism do to the body? What are the physical things that alcohol does do to the body? How do we understand what it's doing? 
Wow, so many things, Kim, and it's interesting. I, I studied holistic health, actually, um, because um, I got so interested in finding all that out. Um, whew, it can be as minute as a hangover and it can be as serious as um, life-ending cancer. Um, it's a type 1 carcinogen. It impacts everything from physical, emotional, mental, spiritual health. It, 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 it has some huge impacts um, from... Like I said, it can be very benign and it can be very malignant and it really depends once again on what you're doing and how often you're doing it. Um, so let's say, again, let's use me. I love to throw myself under the bus. <laughs> you know, so 18-year-old me was just getting the odd hangover. <laughs> I was probably dehydrated, um, probably punishing my, my vitamin levels. But 38-year-old me, I was in chronic malnutrition chronic dehydration and um, a, a really elevated state of unwellness heading towards to disease. Um, uh, like I said, it can be linked to cancer. It can be linked to cirrhosis of the liver. It's linked to so much, so much physical unwellness. It's terrifying, but we very rarely look at it. Um, so it, it, that's a probably, do you know what? That's probably a big enough conversation for a podcast of its own. It's huge, like the mental and physical and emotional um, manifestations and byproducts of illness linked to alcohol are whopping and really frightening, really frightening. Um, well, it changes people's personality. Like you can see mm. somebody who's as, you know, you see them either going towards amorous and all <laughs> over you mm. to angry and yeah. horrible. Yeah. So to me it's definitely there's it's affecting their brain and yes. it's affecting how they are as a personality. Oh, and in kids, by the way, if you look at the studies, young kids, the impact on a young brain, binge drinking, horrifying. Have a Google of that. Google the impact of alcohol on an adolescent brain. And when you look at country kids fresh out of boarding school or uni or whatever and they're drinking at alcoholic levels, like let's not muck about, like the national safety standards recommend one to two drinks in a sitting, that's literally laughed at where I come from. One or two is going to wash the dust down at the end of the day in the paddock, thanks very much. Give me half a carton. <laughs> and I'm not actually joking, right? So now when you take a young developing brain and pour that much alcohol down that beautiful, precious little body, yeah, some really scary, scary impacts on health. But that's almost a new area of study, but I strongly suggest people have a Google of that. Mm. And I think as adults we actually... Um, perpetuate this and I, I see it all the time you know a glass of wine at night but what I want to go back to at the moment is you said as a woman giving up alcohol in the country mm. how could I do that what about for me actually do you know what so when I started my online discussion which I guess we'll get to sober in the country so that's the banner under which I speak now um I started it for women because I thought, oh, it's only going to be girls because blokes don't talk about this stuff. <laughs> and do you know what? This wave of men, and not just from the country, from all over, have been reaching out and connecting to my page and to me. Um, and what I'll say is I think it's actually a hell of a lot worse for our men. Um, it's kind of a double whammy. I, I can't comment for lads on the coast or in the city because I've always been a country girl, but blokes in the bush are kind of very stoic very silent, very tough, um, and they don't talk about feelings generally. We've got a long way to go there. 
So a man in the country giving up alcohol is under some really awful, awful barriers. And I'll give you an example of that. Um, A very, very, very dear man that I know gave up alcohol. And to this day, a year and a half later, people will say to him, oh, are you still off the grog? What are you, soft? Now, this is a man who nearly lost everything to alcohol, right? And these people know that. But they, they, they struggle to accept a man going to the rugby in the country and saying, no, thank you. Even worse is what you'll often hear is one bloke say to another bloke over the bar at a country pub. So let's say bloke A says to bloke B, hey, Robbo, would you like a beer? No, thanks, mate. I don't drink. What? And the next comment out of that mouth will be, oh, you can't trust a bloke who says no to a beer. And I'm not actually kidding. That is a reflexive response in the country between our blokes. And I find that just astonishing. Um, but it's what Can I say to you, I don't think it's just limited to the country. I feel like my husband's been in the sporting world for, for decades and, you know, there's nothing like having a beer or something after the game or everybody having a wine after the game or even during the game, uh, not maybe the players, but certainly people watching it. It seems to be a bit of a culture in the sporting world too, yes. would you not say? 100%. Yeah, yeah, big time in sporting, big, big, big time. And it's funny, um, there are allied bodies working really hard to look at ending alcohol advertising in sport because of that attachment as well. Mm. Well, um, we went down that line with tobacco. Yeah, so, yes, um, we did, didn't we? Type one carcinogen. <laughs> Cindy, do you think? Um, do you feel that um, alcohol is seen? Um, it's it's control. These big these big conglomerates that make the alcohol are they? Is it a bit like the food industry where they get to control because they do have so much money, like the tobacco industries used to do? Or do you think there's something like that in here as well? Because alcohol's not my, you know, I don't look at it, but I can, I can see Shanna saying she's nodding. So mm. I'll let her address it because foods, I know what they're doing in the food industry, but I don't know enough about yeah. alcohol and I don't understand it. So It's a great question. And, and look, I certainly wouldn't say I'm the world's leading expert, but you know how, like, we're in the health industry, right? And, and you girls would know this better than any, anyone. We talk about how big pharma does not profit from people getting well right? They profit from people staying sick and taking drugs. What I will say is that big alcohol, in in my humble opinion, does not profit from people having a healthy relationship with alcohol. And if you have a look, I, damn it, I should have written down the statistics, but I believe something like 20% of Australia's drinkers make up the profit, the majority of the profit for big alcohol, for want of a better term, because I won't name names. So in other words, our people who get addicted and stay addicted keep those companies rolling. So it's not people who don't have an issue with grog. And and I should probably I should probably sit here and say that with sober in the country and with my public advocacy, I never demonise drinking. I don't ever want to demonise drink. What I want to do is say, what happens though to people who don't get the right education and information? And if they are staying sick and if they are staying addicted, right, and not understanding the actual long-term repercussions here, including cancer or whatever, why are we not doing more to educate it, um, educate people on this topic? And I believe, Kim, to come back to your question, it's because there is such huge profit, there is sponsorship. You, you have a look at a game of NRL. You have a look at what goes on in our national sporting matches on a, glo- uh, sorry, on a national scale or even a global scale. Um, 
all of our all of our all of our sporting um, you know rugby bodies they, you, you see sponsorship plastered all over everything for alcohol every second commercial in an NRL grand final it's it's alcohol 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 right um, it doesn't stop and once you start seeing that you can you can't unsee it but if you're not looking for it you just I don't know whatever it just slips into your subconscious but um, yeah look I I, <laughs> I think that's a great answer and big alcohol I'd never really thought yeah, about it but exactly they are the same. huge like same. you go past the highway mm-hmm. and you look on the right hand side mm-hmm. as you're going down to the Gold Coast mm-hmm. and there's a huge um, I think it's one of the beer maybe it's 4x yeah. you know one of the big yeah. beer yeah. so what about um, that little glass of wine <laughs> that starts you know the organic wine and mm-hmm. you know this is what I do with my meal and yeah. And then, you know, you just keep drinking and then it ends up in a hangover. And then what really gets me is the hangover oh, culture. Oh, it's so gross, isn't it? Yeah. Can you talk about the hangover culture? How they think it's all brilliant and funny. Like, it makes me... Mummy wine culture. Okay, let's talk about the mummy yeah. wine culture. Yeah. Um, actually, it's interesting. I don't know if some of your listeners may have seen an episode on SBS Insight two and a half, I don't know, I think years ago called Women Who Drink. Um, and I was a panellist on there and it was so interesting. We discussed the mummy wine culture. Now, I'm not a mum. That's part of my backstory. I couldn't have children. And it was the grief of that that really plummeted me into a very dark place, but that's another podcast. (laughs) So I can't comment from a mummy's point of view, but all my mum friends, if you can get them, you know, into a discussion where they start talking about it, so whether it's the hangover or the five o'clock, you know, oh, my God, my children are driving me crazy. I need a mummy juice, quote, unquote. Um, yes, once again, it's one of those things that once you start seeing it, it is everywhere. And it seems, it look, for some people it is just good, harmless fun. Of course it is. We all love a stupid, daggy meme. We do. However, let's say one of the mates in your circles of mum friends is an alcoholic who doesn't know she is. She doesn't even know she is, right? But she is constantly under pressure for wine o'clock. And what's wrong with you, Cindy? Why aren't you having a wine? Um, and we, again, we sort of glorify that as in our culture as, oh, my God, parenthood, you know, wine because parenting is hard. Wine because mummy deserves it. Wine, wine, wine. And we market it so beautifully, don't we, in our expensive fancy bottles and, and I think that's also why it's so easy for us to put meth amphetamines in a different category, right? Because all these posh people can sit there sipping their expensive wine and look down their noses at drug addiction. And that happens a bit too where I come from. And it's like, um, <laughs> addiction is a little more complex than that. But, yeah, God, the oh, just have a Google of the mummy wine culture. It's pretty insidious. And I feel desperately sorry for ladies who... <coughs> excuse me, sorry, <clears throat> who are battling their own alcohol issues because um, it's very inescapable. So there's sort of like the men at the pub doing quality man time or CEO boardroom scotch time, mummy wine time. What else is there? Sporting. Like it's kind of got its own little subculture attached everywhere. And I presume you girls have that at the coast everywhere too looking over the beach at sunset. Um, yeah. You're lucky sods. At least you've got an awesome view. <laughs> there's, a, um, there's a group that are at um, Alex Headland 
and um, it's become a big group of people that watch the sunset with a glass of wine. Yeah. Now, I, you know, I don't see anything wrong with that, but that is, you know, that's all part of that culture. So it's isolating when you're yeah. not. If somebody's listening to you right now, hmm. one of our um, people that, are, you know, listen to this, and she recognises herself, yeah. and because it's usually women that listen yeah. to us, there, yeah. there are men definitely, yeah. and she recognises herself in what you're saying, hmm. what do you recommend? Look, I'll liken it to health. Um, <laughs> yeah, again, there's no one-size-fits-all answer or solution. Mm. My advice to somebody, if they're sitting there questioning themselves while they listen to this and thinking, maybe I have got a problem, you need to investigate that. You need to take responsibility for your own health. Have a good, hard look at it. Go find a GP, but also go find yourself a naturopath and really ask some hard questions. Be brutally honest. And if somebody is responding to you, which I had for years, doctors would look at me, right, and say, oh, you look all right to me, Shan. Come back in a month. Cut back. And I'd go, no, no, guys, I'm here because I've tried that for years and I'm back in the same spot. Yeah, but look at you. You look fine. Now, this is from a GP. And I would accept that answer because I didn't want to accept that I was in trouble, right? And so I'd go home and say, ha-ha, sucked in everyone, I don't have a problem <laughs> because my disease wanted me to be in denial, right? So I'm saying to people, you really have to take responsibility. You've got to step up. You've got to ask questions and you've got to keep going. It's a bit like with your health. If you're not well and there's a reason why and you don't feel like you're getting given enough info, don't accept that answer. Go to someone else. Go somewhere else. And it's... One of the hugest challenges I have, right, um, is that in the country um, we have such incredible challenges because we're so geographically isolated and our support on the ground is so much more limited than what, say, our cousins or counterparts in the city might have access to. And this is one of the reasons I advocate very publicly in that space is I'm saying... What happens when someone in the bush is in trouble and they go to their nearest point of contact and keep getting the same answer and they don't get help and they end up like a shanna and they slip through the cracks of the care, uh, you know, healthcare system for 20 years and they don't get addressed as a red flag until they're nearly dead. So, my, you know, I'm sort of trying to speak very publicly to say to people, seriously, don't sit there and think that because you don't look and sound like what Hollywood told you alcoholism is that you haven't got a problem. If you think there's a problem, there probably is. Mm. Ask your mates that really love you the hard questions. I don't know. Look, just it, it really is so bloody complex mm. and it's so hard to get a definitive answer out of anybody, including like, you know, Kim asking me before, how does it look? It, it's so different for so many people. But I would suggest that please, 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 if you have some inkling in your heart of heart of hearts, don't muck about with it. Go, go, you know, try a, a private recovery support meeting. Try going to a detox. Try and do a 30-day dry July challenge. Go and look at a heap of different things. I mean, to me, recovery is like a jigsaw puzzle. Little pieces work together differently for different people. But if you're finding that you're someone who's constantly, you know, had a, had a go at cutting back or cutting it down or giving it up and you just can't, then the chances are you're someone who's, who's, you know, got alcoholic tendencies and it's going to only get worse. That's the frightening thing about alcoholism is it's progressive in its nature. It never gets better. It only ever gets worse. So you really have to jump on it 
and address it. Otherwise, the ending won't be very attractive, really, for any of us. So I'd love to see so much more being done in prevention and in authentic education. This is why people like um, Maz Compton or Fiona O'Loughlin or Jimmy Barnes or Osher Gunsberg, however you say his name, um, Talitha Cummins, myself, people speaking really publicly that don't look like what we're supposed to look like are very powerful messengers of an important, important conversation. Because if we might have it, then someone else can go, oh, shivers, okay, well, Maybe that's me too. We identify with people we look and sound like. The, the homeless bum in the gutter is the end stages. But if you're, you know... Um, functioning. Functioning. Look amazing. Look amazing, sound amazing. Yeah. Go to the gym every day. Articulate. Yeah, articulate. Yeah. In fact, some of the most extraordinary people you'll ever meet are high-functioning function, addicts. Mm-hmm. You have a think about it. They're, they're doing amazing things in life and they're doing it on about 10% of the energy other people are doing. They're extraordinary people. That's why so many amazing recovered celebrities speak out to help others. Yeah. So let's talk about Sober in the Country. Sure. Why did you start it? What is it? Yeah. Um, What's your advocacy? How are you politically um, running things? So I got to, because I I just remember you talked about all of these things. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, look, honestly, um, I guess so to go back to, and I, I don't like making this about me anymore. To me, what I do is about other people. I am simply taking the knowledge that I have garnered over a lifetime of being a girl in the country, very typical girl and a very typical drinker who became an alcoholic who nearly died. And my purpose now is to call out the gaps in our services and support and awareness in the country. Um, it was very much an organic growth. I certainly didn't wake up <laughs> in my first two weeks sober and go, I'm going to become a public spokesperson for alcoholism in the country. I was too busy just trying to save my life. Um, over time, though, I realised I'm a journalist, I'm a photographer, I'm a person with a huge Australia-wide agricultural network. I've got some skills. I have no children <laughs> to humiliate. Because <laughs> imagine... Unlike us, imagine how humiliated those poor little things would be. So, you know, that's why I do this, right? I do it because I can. I do it because I've got the time, the passion, the knowledge and the energy. And nobody, <coughs> so sorry, excuse me, nobody that I know of in the planet of Australia um, is talking about booze in the bush. I don't know of anyone, do you? It's crazy. No, because when <laughs> I go to the bush... Mm. Um, and I do because I have a friend that works on a station. Yeah. Uh, and there's always alcohol at everything that we go to, whether it's mm. the the local rodeo yeah. um, or you go into town to the pub <clears throat> or there's a party going on or a, a picnic race. Picnic races. Yeah. There's always the alcohol. And they don't have to go home because they get in their swags and they sleep the night. Exactly. And, you know, one of the things, right, so, so Sober in the Country was my way of just saying, do you know what, once again, not here to demonise grog, not here to demonise people who have a drink. I'm here to advocate for people like me who do have a problem but don't know what the hell to do or where the hell to go. And the reality is there's very limited places to go and very limited support to be had. And I'm getting a bit bigger and a bit more disruptive with my conversation. <laughs> oh, she's a disruptor. I am a disruptor. <laughs> I was a natural-born disruptor. And what I'm saying, right, when I've had opportunities to speak to ministers and address parliament and speak very publicly is I'm saying, look, at the end of the day, 
out in the sticks, we might be out of sight, but please don't put us out of mind because what you've got out there in the country, right, are pretty extraordinary people. And they're a very tiny percent of the population who are feeding 96% of Australia's population. So if we don't look after and give adequate health services and support of a nature that meet the needs of these unique issues, well, that's a little bit of a problem for the whole country, actually. Mm-hmm. And my concern at the moment is, and it's so sober in the country is about just really authentic yarns and conversations about alcohol in many ways. It's just me driving a conversation and connecting people. However, above and beyond that, I'm saying to our leaders, guys, we need some more help. We need some more funding. We need some more support because as we go into what is in some cases year 10 of drought for people, they're not okay and they don't even know how to ask for help. And what I say about country people is they're some of the most extraordinary people you'll ever meet. They're so tough. They're so stoic. They're so bloody resilient. But it's also their greatest weakness because they do not know how to say, I'm not okay. I need help. A lot of country people are so good at being tough, you know, and capable that they don't, as I said, present. This is why, I don't know if you girls know this, but for every, the suicide rate amongst people in the country is two to one compared to the, uh, sorry, to the city. We have, uh, we have so many issues that are so specific to the country demographic and space and I just, in my heart of hearts, I don't believe anywhere near enough is being done to support the workhorses of this nation who kind of get up and show up and keep going and keep doing what they do despite increasingly adverse conditions. And it's not about saying, oh, give us more, do everything for us for nothing. It's not about that. But it's about advocating for people who generally won't ask for a hand and they, they kind of need it. <laughs> yeah. So, Do you think as a whole um, we have... <clears throat> as a, a nation, whether you're a city or a country, we've mm-hmm. lost our resilience. So, every, like, let's, let's just say stuff happens. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody has stuff happen in their life. Some yeah. is worse than the others. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, alcohol, drugs or yeah. addiction mm-hmm. is a place that we seem to go. And if we look at Chasing the Screen, you know, it's mm-hmm. all about that. 100%. Do you think we've lost our resilience? No, I think we've lost our ability to connect and that's led to the loss of resilience. So, yes, in a roundabout way, sorry, would be my answer. Um, I think we're so busy turning to a bottle of beer or whatever the addiction might be. Addiction is addiction, whether it's food or gambling or drugs or shopping, right? If we're eating or drinking or drugging our feelings and not feeling them and not speaking with people and not connecting, then we're not learning how to grow through pain and face it. So I think we've lost our ability to heal through connection. And that sounds so bloody cosmic and wishy-washy and I don't mean it to, but I think that while ever we turn to the next thing and we don't turn to the hard discussions, we don't adult adult our way through it and that doesn't develop resilience. So, yes, in a roundabout way. Um... And that's, again, I guess drawing it back to my specific purpose or plight with country people is the more geographically isolated you are, the higher your risk of disconnect. Um, have you, I don't know if any of your listeners have ever heard of a podcast um, called The Opposite of Addiction is Connection. Ah, yes, by, I um, And I'm going to go blank, doesn't matter, Google it. The Opposite of Addiction is Connection. It's an absolutely extraordinary podcast which really, really does a beautiful job of explaining addiction 
And, and, and again, my concern is, and when I, as I said, if I get half an opportunity to speak in front of a decision maker, I'm like, you cannot use city-based models to treat addiction in the country. For example, people might say to you, oh, so Shanna, if you're an alcoholic, why don't you go to an AA meeting? And my response is, guys, awkward, because A, there are no meetings, and B, we're not anonymous. I don't think that's going to work for us. No, because there's only a few in the country. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Yeah. sorry, Kim. Shanna, I just wanted to ask, we've talked about alcohol from your perspective as in being an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. I'd also like to raise um, the conversation around how alcohol can actually hurt non-drinkers as well. And I just saw um, online there's a, from the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education, that in one year alone, on average, this is is astounding, 367 Australians will die because of another person's drinking. Yep. 13,660 are hospitalised because of someone else's drinking. 19,443 child protection cases, and they're just the ones that are reported. Yes. 24,581 assaults on a family member because of someone that drinks. Yep. And 44,852 assaults in the street or elsewhere because of someone else's drinking. In other words, you could be in the wrong place at the wrong time. It seems to be that we have alcohol available around the clock. Yep. Um, I don't know what it's like in the country, but certainly you can go... Yeah. Pubs and clubs are open here, even on the Sunshine Coast, which is amazing, very late. And I guess in the cities up until maybe 5, 6 a.m. in the morning, there's ads on television constantly, like you've already mentioned, advocating the the beauty and the, the, the romance of drinking and all of those things. Could you tell us what you want to see happen? If you could wave the magic wand, mm. how would we fix that? Or how do you see this problem being fixed either in the country or in the city? Yeah, look, honestly, Kim, and that's exactly right. And, and FAIR do the most extraordinary work with their statistics and research, and it's bloody horrifying. And, you know, we lose 6,000 people every year and hospitalise 160,000 each year. Now that's the actual drinkers rather than those impacted and it costs $36 billion every year to the taxpayer, okay? Um, you know, and that, those are fair stats as well, by the way. Um, I, I don't think the level of risk is acceptable to the drinker or the, you know, the person around the drinkers, um, domestic violence, you name it. And, 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 look, we only have to look at what's happening. Let, let's look at the media that happens when an NRL player gets drunk and whatever. It could be anybody, but those guys are in the spotlight, aren't they? Um, so much of that violence happens. Um, I believe the current state of play in Australia is unacceptable. I believe the current saturation of alcohol advertising in sport is unacceptable. And I don't think we should have one ad in every single commercial during primetime kids' TV slots. I think that's insane, you know, and if it's not a beer ad, it's an ad for KFC and it's crazy. It's like, come on, like, can we maybe have an ad for kale? <laughs> What's going on here? Like, we just want, do we want this nation to be obese and sick and addicted? Obviously we do, huh? You know, it's just, anyway, sorry, I digress. I'll be a bit flippant. But I would love nothing more, Kim, than to see some really, I would love to see alcohol get the same funding and attention and respect that the drug ice gets, for example. And I'll come back to that same comparison I drew earlier. 
ICE, $300 million and a national inquiry. Like they're going at this with guns blazing and they should. But again, let's take the fact that Australia has not had a national alcohol strategy in place for nearly a decade. Nobody even knows that. No one even knows what a bloody national alcohol strategy is. Like you girls wouldn't have heard of that, I assume. People are like, what's that even mean? And to me, that is insane. People will jump up and down and get hysterical about hard drugs, quote, unquote. And again, I will say, I don't care if alcohol is illegal. I don't care if it is taxed. It doesn't mean it is not killing more people than any other drug in this nation. So that is not, in my opinion, enough of an excuse to keep leaving it unattended, to keep leaving it unaddressed. I think... I think we need our, our federal and state government to really step up and stop pretending this doesn't happen and that it isn't real. I know it's a big topic. I know it's not easy. Um, and I'll tell you for a fact that when you're speaking publicly about alcohol, um, a lot of people will jump onto threads on social media and say, I bet you're fun at parties. You know, there's the inevitable smart Alex who can't possibly have an adult discussion about it. Um, it's a topic most people won't touch with a stick because they're too scared of the repercussions. But what I will say is that one little random volunteer like me in the middle of the outback has had this conversation go national in less than 12 months just by blogging and speaking openly. And that is because there is this massive wave. I explained this to Cindy um, as it's like there's an underground Me Too movement. I get I get bombarded with messages from all over this nation, from people in the country and the city saying, oh, my God, Shanna, thank you so much for making this discussion public. Thank you for saying this. It needs to happen, but I'm too bloody frightened to be the one who says it. I'm too frightened to stand up and speak out. So it's kind of like an underground resistance movement of people who are sick and tired of seeing what alcohol does to their peers, their friends, their family or themselves but I don't know how to get out of it. And I think, honestly, Kim, it, we need to have this stuff being educated about in schools and universities and we need to have it being spoken about with the same fervour that, that we speak about ice, for example. But how do we stop a generation, generations of this culture? It's generations. It's this is not something yep. that, yep. you know, we yep. can just nip in the butt because mm-hmm. these kids that are, were born 20 years ago, let's say 18 yeah. years ago, yep. they've watched their parents mm. do the culture mm. of alcohol. Mm. It's like, I reckon it's like smoking. It'll happen, but it is a huge process. And, and you're it, out there, which is, <laughs> makes, yeah. I'm just going to give her a big hug from all of us because yeah. she's amazing, absolutely oh. amazing. I I fell in love with, see, I, I just fall in love with these girls. <laughs> Shanna, one, I know we're coming to the end, but I, would you agree, like, like, for people to be abusing alcohol, I mean, Cindy and I love a little nip of whiskey when we're in the yeah, middle yeah. of a hike. Oh, My yeah. grandmother always advocated a hot toddy <laughs> if you were feeling sick. Yeah. I love nothing more than a beautiful glass or two of French champagne. I wouldn't call myself an alcoholic by any (laughs) and I do enjoy it but it's not I can go without it as well a kombucha can make me feel just as good but I wanted to ask you do you think where the problem starts to stem is I mean just listening into your conversation Mm. it seems that people take alcohol too far for two reasons one is to avoid pain and numb it 
Yep. The other is for courage and to feel like they're better than what they actually are. Both of them come from a place of lacking uh, lacking self-love, really. Is, is that your estimation or have I missed something? No, no, no. You, no, you've nailed it. That's exactly right. Um, as I will say, any time I speak, scratch the surface of anybody exhibiting addictive behaviour of any kind and un- underneath that is an unaddressed trauma or mental health. And that's, you know, if you go very right back to the start of our conversation, I'm a classic example of that. I was a young girl with the world at my feet who had experienced a trauma that was a crime against me. I never got help for it. I never got treatment for it. And that mental health and that internal anguish festered away and alcohol was my way of hiding and gaining courage. So 100%, yeah, um, we need to educate people to understand that addiction generally ties in very closely with mental health traumas, 100%. Um, and that's why when, when somebody has gotten into trouble with their drinking right, or whatever the addiction might be, to tackle it, you can't just put down the drink and say, right, oh, I'm done with that. God, if only it were that simple, right? <laughs> What you have to say is, Shanna or Joe Blow or whoever you are, obviously there is something here that needs to be sorted out. What is the root of this issue for you? Is it, is it an emotional trauma? Are you just, you know, are you just stressed? Can you cut out? Can you cut it back? Or can you not? And if you cannot, what do we do next? And again, you know, I was saying earlier, you've got to drill down and people, we need to look at people as the whole person not just their addiction, not just the problem. There is a huge, complicated, love, lovely human underneath all stories of addiction and it is so tragic and it is so heartbreaking where it can end. Oh, I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> um, I get so tired of hearing judgment, you know. I get so tired of people saying such cruel things um, without often stopping, sorry, I'm so tired. I get emotional when I'm tired. She's just most beautiful. (laughs) It's just frustrating because, you know, um, people are so quick to judge and say awful things. And I say, listen, you need to to understand there is pretty much always a wounded soul underneath somebody who has fallen into addiction. Like just step back, have a look at the person, have a look at the big picture, scratch the surface. And it's not... Nobody, I'll I'll tell you, I'll finish up on this if you like, Kim. Often when I speak, I say, nobody wakes up one day and says, ah, bugger it, I think I might might go be an alcoholic who ends up suicidal. That'll be a good thing to do with my life. It's not like catching a cold. It's something that happens. Thanks, Cindy. Cindy just passed me a tissue. (laughs) Um, It's something that happens over time for a number of reasons and it's complex and the treatment of it is complex and the recovery of that person is extremely complex. But so few people get access to the kind of and the depth of support that they need because society is too busy going, have another beer, have another beer. And that's how we treat alcoholism in a lot of Australia. We either say to somebody, oh, you don't have a problem, you look fine, have another beer, Shanna. Or they say, bugger off and go isolate yourself and be anonymous. And I'm saying, I don't reckon that's good enough. I'm saying if we matter, then we need to be treated holistically as a person who is precious and important. And that's how I feel about it. And that's why I speak about it the way I do. Yeah. I honestly couldn't. If I was right there, I'd be hugging you too. I, just, <laughs> I, feel, very, I feel very privileged to have heard you. It's, it's a topic we've not covered on the podcast yet in six years. 
And it's certainly been something that's been a long time coming because we three have discussed this topic at times, but of course, none of us have been in the position you've been in. And I just, I really want to acknowledge your bravery and your courage. And, and even though we've lost Karen, as she's just had to <laughs> take her little puppy dog to the vet, I know on behalf of the, <laughs> on behalf of the three of us, I can honestly say it's, it's a conversation that needs to be opened further up. Um, Shanna, if people wanted to follow you, could you tell us where they could get hold of you, follow you, ask you to come and speak? Um, what's your, the best places? Um, basically, Google me and I'm everywhere. Someone once recently said, Shanna, you're like the Dalai Lama. You don't have money, but you're bloody everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> if you just Google Sober in the Country, my lovely. Um, so we have a website, soberinthecountry.com.au. Um, I'm on Instagram. I think my handle is sober underscore in underscore the country. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. And what I will say to people is, look, I'm a one-woman volunteer who's, who's been seeking funding and so forth, but um, that, the government hasn't looked at it, but we won't delve into that. So I'm not a service. I, I wish I could be. I just... I drive this conversation. So if people would love to come and join in the conversation, please come and visit. I share candidly. I do little uploads constantly. Um, yeah, so come and find us on the website or LinkedIn. And if there is someone listening who is from the country and they have a story, I'm always looking for submissions. I'm actually working on a book as we speak um, so that we can get this to go further and wider again. But, yeah, just Google me. Oh, and here's a bit of excitement for you girls where um, my face is going to be in Women's Weekly and also RM Williams Outback magazine over winter. So, Oh, wow. Cool and so it should be. You know, we, oh. need, we need these disruptors. We love the fact that you're a major disruptor on a topic. <laughs> that I is don't certain. think the alcohol industry loves it. <laughs> No, but you know what? The alcohol industry has got to sharpen its wit. I mean, not only have they, you know, extended their drinking as far as different flavours, different things, but then they've brought in things like, you know, monster drinks and things like that to share with the alcohol. So not only have we got the alcohol, but then we've got these mixes that are just, you know, I don't think it's healthy at all. And we all know it's not. So, and you know, whole, yeah. That's it, Kim. And again, you know, it, it, I, I just really honestly once more want to say it's not about teenizing anyone who enjoys a glass of wine, but it's about opening this conversation up to the much bigger picture that we really aren't looking at. Um, I'm very happy to say that nationally we're doing a good job. Um, you girls may or may not have heard of Hello Sunday Morning. Um, they're an, a leading national alcohol awareness charity and God bless their cotton socks, they made me their rural ambassador. They're an amazing crew. They do an amazing job. And if anyone listening wants to check out, they have an app called Daybreak, which is a service point that may be useful for them. Um, so nationally, we're doing some good stuff. We are. It's starting to change. We're chipping away at this little thing. And I think we're going to make sober trendy one day. And I think one day it'll go the way, um, I think one day alcohol will go the way smoking did. I think it's a big job and it's got a long, long way to go, but I can't see how there's any other way because it is a type 1 carcinogen killing people. We've got a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do. But in the meantime, please don't hate me when you're enjoying your glass of wine or your scotch tonight. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just one other quick question I was just thinking then. What about the person who 
feels like someone close to them does have an alcohol problem? Is there a way in which to approach them? Yeah, look, that is a huge question. <sighs> Ultimatums, judgment, ranting and raving don't work, but it's what everyone's going to be tempted to do if they're worried about someone or tired of somebody's behaviour. What I would strongly suggest is Google, start Googling what to do if someone I love is an alcoholic. See if you, or if you think somebody you love might be in trouble, go and visit a website called Al Anon, which is the page for family members of problem drinkers. So you've got Alcoholics Anonymous, right? For the drinker who is, has acknowledged they're in trouble, but that's just one of many methods I would suggest. But for the sake of illustration, the, the family equivalence of that is Al-Anon, A-L-A-N-O-N. Go and have a look, educate yourself. Once again, educate yourself, take responsibility, keep yourself safe. I will say hands down that when I was in the height of my destruction, my denial, my drinking, I was a very destructive, very selfish, um, sick person. I was so, 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 so sick mentally, physically, you name it, and nobody could have ever been equipped to help me. So I'm very sad to say that someone in big trouble with their drinking, you can do very little for them unless they want to help themselves. Mm. So you need to really educate yourself. You need to protect yourself. Try to learn about not enabling. Try to learn what is in tr Try to learn about what is trouble versus what is just, you know, a bit of a bad patch. Some people aren't alcoholics. They're just going through a dead set rotten patch. Offer them help. Offer to support them. Don't be judgmental. Don't be harsh. Don't give them ultimatums. But if you keep going around and around in circles, you need to put yourself first. And it's bloody tough. I will tell you for a fact, loving an alcoholic is probably one of the hardest things in the planet and it's cruel. It's just as cruel as being one. And I, if anyone's listening to that, you're an extraordinary person because it's a hard journey. So that Al-Anon is www.al.anon.org.au. Yeah. So I will put that in the show notes yeah. so that everybody knows how to do it because I, like even if you, someone is going through a hard time mm -hmm. that, and they're just drinking yeah. a little bit yeah. more alcohol, yeah. then we could go to that. Yeah, how do we differentiate? Yeah. Okay. And Kim, we, what you'll see, lovely, is if you flick people towards my website, I then have a resources section in which I link a bunch of other resources. Mm. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I, I do what I can with, with what I've got, which is just a big heart to help other people, but there are some amazing resources out there and I would finish on the note of saying it's very much like your health. Take responsibility for it. Grab it by the horns and do not give in. Be relentless in your pursuit of knowledge and information and just protect yourself above all else. Oh, I love it. And yeah. Shanna, please know from all three of us and all of our beautiful listeners just how much we've really appreciated it. I'm sorry you had to hit rock bottom and go through this, but oh. it seems that you have been chosen, my love. So oh. keep, keep disrupting and keep being extraordinary and helping us not only to protect the young, because yeah. in my opinion, it's not just young people that binge drink. There's a lot of adults, and I've always said to my teenagers do not look at adults as the yeah. role models necessarily so I just um I just want to reach out and for any family that is in a bit of break point or going through something or even worried like Shanna said 
then please look at the notes for the show and follow it up. The, the mm. worst thing, in my opinion, on behalf of us is that you stay quiet. And I would highly recommend that this is an illness. This is something that needs to be addressed. And when you care about somebody, I know how hard it can be when you're just watching them self-destruct. So please reach out, but, but take care of yourself in the process. Yeah. And honestly, thank you, girls. Your, your show is amazing. The work you do is amazing. And, um, you know, my heartfelt prayer is that we can just impact lives and help people and um, give them the courage, you know, to stand up because, as I love to say, courage is contagious. Yeah, I love it. Love <laughs> it. Well, listeners, I think you'll all agree that this has been a phenomenal show. We wish beautiful Karen all the best at the vet with her little puppy um and on behalf of karen cindy and i we just want to say thanks for tuning in please if you want to help us spread messages like this with shanna then the most important and critical thing you could do is to go to itunes and give us a five-star rating please share this podcast with as many souls as you know that could do with it um, please if you've got any questions go to the wellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat uh, better still, go to the Facebook page, all the W's, facebook.com forward slash up for a chat. And we will certainly do our best to get any comments through to Shanna unless you can contact her personally, which would be our greatest wish for you as well. Shanna, on behalf of us, thank you again, sweetheart. Please, everybody, stay tuned. And we look forward to seeing you this time next week where you can become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. We'll see you then. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.